Hear me all right? Am I on? Very good. Hey, welcome to Grace. Uh, hey, why don't you grab your Bibles? Uh, if you have your own, uh, great. If you don't, there should be plenty scattered in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, we are continuing on in our summer sermon series, Ask the Pastor. We've had uh, two really good questions, and uh, this morning, uh, nothing's changed. We've got another really good question from one of you, and uh, I so appreciate these questions. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to the book of Exodus, is where we're going to get started. So easy to find, right? You've got Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and then uh, Exodus chapter 20 is where we are going to begin. Exodus chapter 20. We will find our way into the New Testament oh, momentarily as we make our way through the sermon, uh, but we will be starting in Exodus chapter 20. Uh, ask the pastor week number three. I trust that you're there close to it, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, you can take a look at verse 7 if you'd like. Uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll dive right in, and then we'll prepare ourselves for communion together. So if you would pray with me, please, one more time. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you, thank you. It is a good day. It's the day that you've made. We rejoice in it, and we're glad in it, and we glorify you for it. Uh, we thank you for the many blessings that we have. In particular, uh, this week, we focus our hearts and minds on the blessing that this country is. Um, to us and to so many others, we are incredibly grateful for it. Lord, we are grateful for your word. And we're grateful, Father, for the questions that you have uh, given us for this, this summer period. Uh, we're grateful that you have made us in your image, and as such, you have made us uh, thinking beings, inquisitive beings. And uh, we're grateful that we're hungry to know more of you. And so, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word as we seek to answer these questions that are on our hearts and our minds, that the answers would not be uh, my mere opinion but it would be what you have to say on the matter. And so speak clearly to us, we pray, in the name of Jesus and God's people said, Amen. Well, a man was working in the produce uh, section of a local grocery store, and uh, a woman approached him. And she wanted to know if she could buy half a head of lettuce. Uh, half a head of lettuce, he said. Are you serious? God grows these things in whole heads, and that's how we sell them. And the woman persisted, you mean, after all of these years that I've given you my business, you won't sell me half a head of lettuce. Uh, the young clerk replied, well, um, I'll go ask the manager if you'd like. And she indicated that she would like him to do so. And so he, so he marched uh, to the front of the store and knocked on the manager's door. And he said, uh, sir, you won't believe this, but there's a lame-brained idiot of a woman back there who wants to know if she can buy half a head of lettuce. And as he was talking, he noticed that the manager was sort of motioning like this uh, behind him. And, of course, the woman had followed him and was standing right behind him. And so the young man quickly thought and said, uh, and said the following words, And this nice lady wants to know if she could buy the other half. <laughs> well, later in the day, the manager cornered the young man and he said, You know, that's, that's the best example of, of thinking on your feet that I've ever seen in my whole life. Where did you learn that from? And the young man said, Well... I grew up uh, up in Grand Rapids, and if you know anything about Grand Rapids, you'll know that it's, it's known for its great hockey teams and its ugly women. And the manager's face was flush and sort of red, and his vein began to pop, and he said, my wife is from Grand Rapids. And the young man replied, and which hockey team does she play for? <laughs> Some of you will get that in a minute. Um, so today, today, we are going to be talking about uh, our words, right? We are going to be talking about the words that we say as Christians, what we should say and the things that we shouldn't be saying as followers of Christ. Once again, we've received a really good question. And so the question, it's a little longer than normal, but it's on the screen uh, behind you. This is the question posed to us for this morning. Uh, Christians and swearing and cursing. I don't see a lot of difference between the world and Christians in this aspect anymore. 
A friend of mine that I really look, uh, look up to recently posted, quote, looking all blankety-blank about her and her preschool daughter doing selfies while at the airport. Turned me off. Should it or shouldn't it have affected me? Uh, OMG is another common thing that Christians say uh, anymore. Do they, uh, do they know what it stands for or do they simply not care? Is there a difference between not using God's name in vain and then just using words to express yourself? The biggest thing to me is turning off others to my message of God, uh, but maybe I'm the only one who still cares. So a bit of a long question there, but if I can, let me just simply boil down this comment slash question into two questions. Can I do that? Two questions, two subject matters, and we see them at the very beginning of the statement or question, Christians and swearing and cussing. And so that's what we're going to tackle this morning, Christians and number one, swearing, and then Christians and number two, cussing. So that's the the shape of our our sermon this morning. So let's begin with the the question of Christians and swearing. And by that, uh, because the uh, question specifically mentioned uh, Christians saying, Oh my God. And I don't mean, Oh, comma, my God. Right? (laughs) There's a difference there. Oh my God. Uh, I think we all know what we're talking about here. Is that appropriate for Christians to say? So that's that's sort of the angle that we're going to take this morning. So to answer this question... Uh, we need to look at the book of Exodus. So I, I trust that you're there. You can see it on the screen behind me. Exodus chapter 20. What do we find in the book of Exodus, Bible scholars out there? The what? The Ten Commandments, right? Okay, so we get the Decalogue. And uh, to answer the question of Christians and uh, 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 saying, Oh my God, we will turn to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7. Uh, there we get the third commandment, right? Uh, commandment dum- uh, number one. Um, uh, don't uh, I don't uh, I am alone the Lord right and then worship the Lord your God only don't don't set up idols and now we find uh, commandment number three so I'm, I want to read it first in the NIV and then I want to read it in the New American Standard uh, first the NIV uh, translates it this way you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God for the Lord will not, will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, I think that's a really good translation, actually, in the first section. Um, but I want to bring in the New American Standard uh, because it, it may be sort of a more familiar translation of the third commandment to you. Uh, so New American Standard, King James, says something more like this. Verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. So I just want to point out from the beginning here, uh, just a simple observation. There is a commandment and then, and then there's a consequence, right? The simple uh, structure of the verse, there is a commandment, which is actually a prohibition, right? Something we shouldn't do. Uh, don't misuse or take the, the, the Lord's name in vain, depending upon how you translate a couple words here. So there is a clear commandment and then there is the consequence. And, and I'm not really going to flesh out the consequence, but I simply want to point it out. That it is um, a commandment that comes with a consequence. The Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. In other words, uh, does God care about how we use his name? Yes or no? Yes, he does. Okay, so let's just take a look at this verse here, the, the beginning part. Uh, I want to answer the question by raising and then answering three more questions. Let's just sort of walk through verse 7 together. What does it mean to, NIV, misuse 
the name of the Lord. So if you read the verse in the Hebrew, there is a verb here. You shall not misuse, the NIV translates it. The New American Standard um, translates it a little uh, more lightly. You shall not take. There's a verb here, and, I, and it's an important verb. What, what does it mean when the text says not to misuse the name of the Lord? Um, here it simply means, uh, the verb means to... Um, it means to use something wrongfully, if you will, to make a wrongful use of something. In other words, it's to, to take something, a word, a name, a concept, an object, and to use it uh, against its purpose. To use it in a way that it's not designed to be used, if you will. And here's sort of a simple illustration to help us understand that. Um, when my oldest firstborn, Asher, was uh, a toddler, two or three, um, there was a, a sort of a, uh, there was a time period, and all of you know this if you've dealt with toddlers, where they want to do everything themselves, right? Uh, they're sort of growing independently, and, and they want to do things themselves. And so there was a time period when uh, my son wanted to get dressed himself. It was great. And, and so I, I told him he could do that. And, and this one particular moment, I recall, I sort of left the room just to see what he would do. You know, he had all of the uh, articles of clothing out. And uh, I walk back in a, a minute later, and he has his underwear on, um, but not in the right place. Uh, he has his underwear uh, on his head, sort of like this, like a hat, you know, just boop, put it on. And I'm like, um, that's, that's, not where you, uh, that's not what you do with your underwear, right? That's, that's not where you wear it. Um, apparently, he didn't care. That's where you wore your underwear. And so for a few days after that, when we would let him get, get dressed, you know, that's, that's where the underwear went. You could say that he was misusing his underwear. He was making a wrongful use um, of it, right? Um, that's what the word means. It's, 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 it's God telling us not to do that with his name, right? Not to use it um, in a way that's against how it's meant to be used. So then the follow-up question is, well, how is God's name meant to be used, right? If it's inappropriate, God says, don't use it wrongly. Well, what does it mean to use it rightly? Well, I think we could go to numerous texts, um, but I want to point us to just a few. First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, there we see uh, several verses, verses 10, verse 29, verse 35, um, several verses that point us towards the appropriate use of the name of the Lord. Starting in verse 10, um, the author says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Say also, save us, O God, of our salvation, and, and gather and deliver us from among the nations, that we might give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So just from these three verses, I think we get a good overview of the appropriate use of the name of the Lord. God's name is to be gloried in. It is to be delighted in and relished and cherished. Why? Because it is holy. Because He is holy. It is to be rejoiced in by those who seek Him. It is to be worshipped and praised. It is to be thanked. It is to um, it is to be made glorious, if you will. So that's what it means to rightly use the name of the Lord. And, and remember, folks, back, back in Matthew, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Remember that? The Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who, who art in heaven, what be your name? Hallowed, right? Honored be your name. So, so for starters here, 
to misuse the name of the Lord is to use it in a way that does not make God look cherished. It's to use it in a way that does not make God look rejoiced in and delighted in and thanked and gloriously good. Okay? You with me so far? So, so the verse says, don't misuse the name of the Lord. But then the second question is, what is the name of the Lord? I mean, what are we really talking about here? Like, what is the object that is uh, not supposed to be misused, right? Notice question number two, what is God's name? Now, if you look at the verse, you may notice something. It says, don't misuse the name of the, and then, and then what, what does it say? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You notice that? Okay, just sort of a, a hint here. Whenever you're reading your Bible and you come across capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is, this is the translator's way of telling you that this is God's formal name. This is God's covenant name, if you will. You may recall back in Exodus chapter 3 when God is calling Moses, right? Uh, I want you to go. And he doesn't want to go, right? And one of the excuses he gives, him, uh, gives God is, well, well, what shall I say when they say, you know, who, who is this God that is wanting to redeem us, right? What, what is his name? And God replies what? I am who I am, right? I am who I am. In Hebrew, that is... Uh, uh, yod heh vav heh or Yahweh, you may have heard it uh, sounded. Uh, and so this, when you see L-O-R-D, that, that is that name. That is the same name. I am who I am. Or, or, or Yahweh, that is God's formal name. It is his covenant name. And so God says, don't misuse that name. However, use it appropriately. But friends, let's, let's not just think that God is only talking about a, a four-letter word here. Right, Lord. Um, because God's name is so much more than a name, right? God's name is who he is. It has to do with his person. It's all that he is. In fact, Pastor, Pastor Eric Raymond puts it this way. He says God's name is synonymous with his godness. His name has to do with his essence and his actions. In other words, God's name is about who God is and what God does. So friends, uh, whatever, whatever prohibition is going on here to not misuse the name of the Lord, it's not just about a word, right? It's not just about using a word inappropriately. What is it about? It's about talking about a person inappropriately, right? God says, don't, don't, don't take my name, my character. Don't speak of who I am and what I do in a way that is, goes against how it's meant to be. Question number three then, don't misuse the name of, of Yahweh, the name of the Lord. But then there's, there's another little part, and the New American Standard brings it out. Don't take the name of the Lord, the Hebrew tells us, in vain, in vain. The word translated vain here means don't treat God's name as worthless. Don't speak of it um, as empty, if you will. Don't, don't, don't make it inconsequential. Don't, don't speak of it falsely. This is kind of what the, the Hebrew word in vain means. And so we put it all together, right? The third commandment tells us 
not to use God's name in vain. Don't, don't speak of it as if it's empty. Don't use it frivolously. Don't use it carelessly. You could say that we aren't to use it profanely or, or we aren't to use it insincerely. It means using his name in a way that makes God look not as valuable as he really is in a way that is disrespectful or dishonorable to him. In short, God says, don't use my name and empty it of its value by making it just another common word, an inconsequential word. Again, Pastor Raymond hits it on the head when he says this, and I quote, if you take God's name in vain, you are insulting God. You are taking that which is supposed to be hallowed or set apart, dedicated and consecrated, and making it a throwaway word. He writes, if we continue to carelessly toss God's name around like a frisbee in the park, then we are dishonoring God. It is that simple. So friends, uh, the the third commandment, I think, is the answer to question number one. The appropriateness of Christians and swearing. The uh, appropriateness of the people of God using the name of God in a way that is vain or, 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 or trite. So how can we do this in a real practical sense? I think it's simply more than saying OMG. So let me suggest four application points. How, how can we um, misuse the name of the Lord? How can we use it in vain? Four things. I think we can do it with our filthy profanity. I think we can do it with our false promises. I think we can do it with our fake pretense. And I think we can do it with uh, flippant prose. So let me walk through these. Number one sort of the most common category. I think we can use the name of the Lord in vain with filthy profanity. So this would be using God's name sort of as a, as a curse word, right? Using it profanely. Certainly the way many people say, uh, oh my God, sort of flippantly or angrily um, out of, uh, you know, when they stub their toe, right? Or when they're angry without sort of any reference or reverence uh, for what that name means, I think would qualify. But I think it's more than that. I think using God's name uh, in a curse, like, like saying, God damn it. I think that would, would certainly apply when we stub our toe, when the car won't start, when we're angry with our spouse. I think another example would be, uh, we see this very commonly, uh, TV shows, we, uh, we see it uh, in movies when the name of our Lord Jesus Christ is sort of just used as a cuss word. Um, certainly I think that would fit this category of using God's name uh, as profanity, as filthy profanity. Number two, um, but I think it could also fit in the category of false promises. So um, this could be when we use God's name sort of in making a vow or a promise. Maybe you've done this before. Maybe you've heard of people do it. You're in a conversation and you said, man, yesterday I was at the lake and I caught a bass this big. And your friend says, no, it was probably this big. And then maybe you would say, I swear to what? I swear to God, right? I I swear to God. Friends, what did Jesus teach us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37? That our yes should be what? Yes. And our no should be no. He said, all you need to simply say is yes and no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so we can use God's name in vain through our profanity, through our promises, but also through our pretense. Through our pretense. And what I mean by that is that I think that people can use God's name in vain when we attach his name 
to actions or um, organizations or beliefs that are contrary to his revealed word or character. Let me flesh that out for you with a few historical examples. It should become pretty clear what I mean. So um, when apartheid took place in the name of God in South Africa, we'll be using the Lord's name in vain. When the Nazis used God's name in, in Germany, when the Christians, and I use that very loosely, in the Crusades in the Middle Ages did what they did in the name of God, the support of slavery here in churches in America. I think you see where I'm going with. In other words, when we associate God with certain actions or or beliefs or ideologies, when his word is contrary to that, we're saying sort of God agrees with something that he actually does not agree with. That is fake pretense. Maybe a more modern example um, A few years ago, former President Barack Obama uh, was giving an address to Planned Parenthood. And we know that Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in all of these United States. And the President finished his address by saying, Thank you, Planned uh, Parenthood, and God bless you. Friends, let me ask you a question. Do you think God blesses an organization that murders millions of babies every year? Does God approve of that? Of course he doesn't approve of that. So there's profanity and promises and pretense. But, but also I think there's a fourth category. It's, it's what I would call flippant prose. In other words, just trivializing God's name. When we speak of the name of God in a way that it's just like it doesn't really matter, right? It's just sort of trite, disrespectful, just sort of using it in a common way. So, so maybe a few examples of what this could be. Um, uh, wearing a t-shirt that, that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Um, or Air Jesus, the ultimate high. Or as one church used on their um, church sign to advertise a church hot dog fellowship, calling it a Holy Ghost weenie roast. I thought that was clever, but maybe blasphemous. Um, you know, uh, just sort of making the name of God and just trivializing it. Now, now some of this may be well-intentioned, and and, and I see that. But friends, I just want us to be careful about speaking of God and his name in a way that is reverent, in a way that, that is holy. And so, question number one, Christians and swearing. I think the third commandment answers that pretty clearly for us. So let's move on to a subject matter that's uh, maybe a little bit more challenging uh, from the scriptures, and that is the subject matter of Christians and cussing. So when a Christian walks down the street and uh, there are as many bleeps in his language or her language as there are words, right? Is that appropriate? Should Christians use uh, filthy or or cuss words, if you will? Um, Well, let's begin with an illustration. Uh, the president of many, many years ago, Woodrow Wilson. Uh, I don't know, I, I didn't know this until I, I came across this illustration, but his father was a pastor. Uh, he was a Presbyterian pastor deep in the South, if, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, Woodrow Wilson once talked, uh, shared a story about his dad. And he said, quote, uh, of his dad, He was once in the company of men where they were having a heated discussion. And in the midst of it, one of them let out a profane explicative then seeing Dr. Wilson there, he offered him an apology, saying, Sir, I had, got, I had forgotten that you were present. Would you please pardon me? And Dr. Wilson's reply was a good one. He said this. He said, It's not me that you owe your apology to, but God. 
Um, being a pastor, I've had that happen numerous times. I'm in the midst of a company, and somebody says something, and they sort of look at me like, what are you going to do? Right? Or, or, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot that you were here. And, uh, and I think what Dr. Woodrow Wilson's dad said is appropriate. It, it, it's not me that you need to apologize to. So, so the second question deals with Christians and cussing. Now, the questioner observed in the question that they're, in, in their opinion, and, and I sort of noticed this as well, that, that there's sort of an uptick in profession, uh, professing Christians just using sort of foul language. And so does the Bible address this? Um, yes and no, if I can answer it. Uh, yes and no. Let's begin with the no, right? Um, to some degree, uh, the Bible doesn't address this in that the Bible doesn't have a, a, um, a book of uh, second, second uh, cuss words, right? You don't find that in your scriptures. Uh, we don't see a, a list of scriptures where Paul says, thou shall not say, and then he lists a specific list of words. Um, we don't have that. And, and, so, and so there's a sense in which, no, the Bible doesn't specifically address this because cuss words, words in general, uh, are culturally derived. They are culturally determined. So, so it's sort of hard for us to, to sort of have a hard and fast set of words that are sort of off limits for Christians. Um, as I began to study this, I came across an article and it was a fascinating article. Uh, I'd never heard of anything quite like it. In fact, it was one of my professors at, at Dallas Seminary. His name is Michael Spiegel. And uh, he's the department chair and professor of theological studies at Dallas Seminary. So you know that this is sort of an academic work. But the title of his article was this, quote, um, Towards an Evangelical Theology of Cussing. Who knew that there could be such a thing as a theology of cussing? Apparently there is, and he's written a fascinating article. But, but he sort of makes this first point when he says, what exactly is a cuss word? This is a matter of intense debate among scholars and lay cussers alike. Yes, there are lay cussers out there, in case you were wondering. Because while some words are considered taboo in certain cultures or countries, others are not. As a mild example, he says, in some, in some families, quasi-cuss words would include the word dumb and shut up. So maybe in your family, that was sort of how it was. If you called somebody dumb, that's a cuss word, right? Or if you tell them to shut up, that, that's a cuss word. But then he goes on to say, in other families, the use of these words would constitute what would be polite dinnertime conversation, right? Um, I think he makes a fair point, you know. However... Just because words differ in meaning within various cultures, and I mean even in subcultures, right? There are many cultures in America. Um, Even though words differ in their meaning in various cultures, I don't think that means that we can't determine that within a culture that some words are profane, that that some words are, are cuss words, if you will. One scholar by the name of Wellman says this. He says, it's, it's nearly impossible to create a canonized list of words that are considered curses. Nevertheless, he writes, it can be concluded that there are words that are purely crude or demeaning and therefore unequivocally curse words. So, so, so the first answer is no, right? Uh, it, it, there's a sense in which the Bible doesn't address this and that it doesn't give us a list of, of no-no words. However, the Bible does address uh, how Christians speak, right? Does the Bible tell us about the type of language that should and should not come from our lips as Christians? What do you think? 
I think it does. In fact, I want to share with you some verses here. Number one, uh, number one, our speech should be exemplary. We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4. You can see it on the screen behind me. Our speech should be exemplary. So Paul writes to Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in three, three areas. In speech, in conduct, uh, in love, in faith, four areas, and in purity, five. I can't count, apparently. Five areas, right? Speech, conduct, love, and faith, and impurity. But the first one is the one I want us to focus on, right? Because Paul looks at Timothy, and he says, Your speech should be exemplary among the brothers. Friends, I'm not sure that we could really follow that command. I'm not sure we could be obedient to that if we're sort of cussing up a storm. I just don't think that Paul would look at a a Christian that is cussing up a storm and says, that's exemplary behavior. Man, that's what a Christian should look like. I I just don't think that fits, right? So people are listening to us is sort of the the underlying assumption here. Paul says, Timothy, um, other Christians are listening to how you speak. And we all know that it's not just other Christians that are listening to how we speak, right? If you're a parent, are your kids listening to how you speak? Of course they are. Uh, if you work anywhere, are your coworkers listening to how you speak? Of course they are, right? One day, just this week, as God would so ordain it, um, uh, Dever was the first up. Um, and he was kind of acting like he just did now, right? He was crying and fussy. And so everybody else was asleep, and so I wanted to keep him quiet. So I went downstairs, and I said, do you want a Pop-Tart? That usually works. He said yes. And so I got out the toaster oven, and I plugged it in to the outlet, and it didn't work. I plugged it into a different outlet, and it didn't work. I was like, what in the world? And I plugged it into a third outlet. And we have these little GFIC things. They drive me crazy, right? That's what it was. So I was like, you know, I plugged it in, and he's getting... Antsy. So I plug it into another one, and it doesn't work. And I say, what the heck? And you know what he says? In a little two-year-old voice, Daddy, what is heck? Daddy, what is heck? That's a good question, you know. Paul says that we should strive for exemplary speech because Christians and non-Christians alike are listening. Number two, our speech, the Bible tells us, should be wholesome and edifying. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who are listening. So so here he speaks of two types of, of speech, right? Two types of language. He begins with the type that we shouldn't have, and he calls it unwholesome talk. Um, That's a pretty tame translation. Uh, The word in Greek, unwholesome, in other places refers to wood that has been rotted, to flowers that have been withered, or to fish uh, that is rancid. Right? Rottenness is sort of the idea. Rotten, foul, putrid to the nose. He says that kind of language should not be used. Uh, Growing up in South Texas, um, we spent many a weekend at my grandparents' lake house there on Lake Corpus Christi. And we liked to fish, and so we would often fish, and we, we'd catch the fish. And so the men would then go and would clean the fish. You know what I'm talking about? It's gross. But we'd clean the fish, right? Cut it all up, and we'd take all of the remains of the fish and just sort of set it in a bucket to be discarded later. Well, this one weekend, um, which was unusual, we decided to take our family dog with us. Uh, he was a dachshund, a wiener dog, right? And his name was Schnitzel. 
Look it up in, 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 in German. You see what I mean? Schnitzel, right? And, uh, and so he was there that weekend, which was unusual. And so we cleaned the fish, and we threw it in the bucket, and we all went in for a big fish fry. However, we forgot that there was a dog in the yard. And uh, you can imagine what dogs do with rotten fish, right? They not only in, uh, eat it, but they somehow think that it's like great-smelling cologne. And they roll in it, right? And they get it all over themselves. And so uh, after dinner, uh, you know, Schnitzel was uh, scratching on the door, so we let him in the house. And when he came in the house, we all knew that he was present, right, with this awful smell that made, made you want to puke, Right? Friends, it's, it's that sort of response that Paul says, friends, as Christians, our language, when it's heard by others, it should not smell to their ears putrid or foul. It should not make them want to vomit, if you will, but rather edifying speech to, to build them up according to their needs. So our speech should be exemplary, it should be wholesome, edifying. Third, Paul says that our speech should not be filthy, if you will, or obscene, or coarse. And we see that from Colossians chapter 3, verse 8. The story is told of a, of a pastor who had a little daughter. <clears throat> and the daughter stubbed her toe walking uh, up the stairs, and she said, darn. And the pastor said, honey, I'll give you ten cents if you never say that word again. And so she gladly took his money. And a few days later, she came forward. She said, Daddy, come here, come here. And he, and he came there. And she said, Daddy, I've got a word that's worth half a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work. Um, friends, Colossians 3 tells us that, that we should rid ourselves of half-dollar words, if you will. Notice verse 8. But now, Paul says, you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these. And there, there's a long list. Rage, excuse me, anger, rage, malice, slander, and then the fifth one. The NIV translates it filthy language from your lips. Paul says that, that filthy speech, it, it means shameful speech. Speech that is uh, abrasive, if you will. Speech that when somebody hears it or when we think about it, we should be ashamed that we say it. Similarly, Ephesians chapter 5, follow that on the screen. Verses 3 and 4, we, we have almost a parallel text. Um, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. That's another sermon for this summer, but that'll be for later. Or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Notice verse 4. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So here, um, rather quickly, Paul gives us sort of three different words, right? He says that uh, our speech should not be characterized by uh, obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking. Obscenity means, uh, very similar to what we've seen in the, in the prior verse, language that is shameful or disgraceful. Foolish talk basically is like talking silliness or, 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 or senseless conversation that's just futile, doesn't have a point. Coarse joking, just think about um, men's locker room conversation. That's coarse joking, right? It's sort of um, sarcastic ridicule that has gone too far. Um, but in particular, this first category, I think, addresses our question, right? He says that our language should not be obscene. It should not be uh, filthy. It should not be coarse, if you will. So friends... Does the Bible address the issue of cussing? Well, no, to some degree. But does the Bible address the type of language 
that should characterize the Christian and that shouldn't characterize the Christian. Yes? Of course it does. Absolutely. So friends, here's, here's where we're going to close as we move towards the table and sharing communion with one another. Um, I don't know about you, but if I evaluate my life in light of what Scripture says, that uh, the words that should and shouldn't come out of my mouth, um, I am guilty. Who among us has not broken the third commandment? Anyone? Anyone out there not broken the third commandment? Who among us has not used filthy or coarse language? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Right? Of course not. Of course not. Friends, if we were honest, we know that none of us have done these perfectly. We, we, we sin with our words. Jesus says that we will be judged according to our words. That we will be condemned or justified according to our words. Friends, who of us, who, who among us will be completely justified as absolutely innocent when God plays back all of the words that we have ever said in our life? Anyone? No. Of course not. We would be condemned. And that is the good news of the gospel, that we have sinned and that God will judge us for all that we do, including our words, and we are guilty. We deserve hell for what we have said. Friends, we deserve judgment for what we have said if we take the word of God and the character of God seriously. Friends, there, is, there has never been a one who has been perfectly pure in speech Save whom? Is there one? Is there a man who has never sinned with his lips? Of course there has been. We celebrate what he's done for us. His name is Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 22 tells us this about Jesus, that he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Jesus himself tells us that he came to fulfill the law. Remember that? I came to fulfill the law, even the third commandment, right? He did it perfectly. And by doing so, he obtained the righteousness that God demands of us to be in his heaven that we can never do ourselves. A righteousness we can never obtain. A righteousness that Jesus offers to all as a free gift. If we would repent of sin and self and turn to him as Savior, this is how Jesus accomplished that gift through what we celebrate in communion. He shed his blood for our sins. His body was torn for our transgressions. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is when we believe in the gospel and trust in Christ, our sins are forgiven, all of them, even the words that we have said, but that he doesn't leave us alone. Jesus comes to indwell us. His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and to change our character. What does Jesus say about our words? Out of the overflow of the what? Remember? Of the overflow of the heart, The mouth speaks, right? And so what we say is indicative of what is in our heart. And the Holy Spirit abides in us as Christians to change our hearts so that we can change our speech. There's glorious news in the gospel. And we remember what Christ did for us in communion. Luke tells us that while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for uh, for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask one of our elders, Dan, would you come pray for us? And we're going to prepare our hearts for communion. 
But as we do that, we're going to sing a song together. I'm going to ask you to sing. We're going to sing a portion of a song. And then I will tell you, please come and partake from the table. And, and as the band plays, would you come as we do? And when you're done, would you return to your seat so that when we're all done taking communion, we can close this song together in worship of what Christ has done. So Dan, I'm going to ask you to pray. And band, I'm going to ask you to come forward. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you sent your son to give his life so that we can have eternal life. Father, we, uh, we take this bread and this cup in remembrance of that great sacrifice that you gave for us. We're so thankful, Lord, that you give us these things that we can constantly remember your love for us, your uh, desire to have us in heaven with you, and that our certain hope of eternal life is secure in you, Lord. So, Father, as we, uh, as we come before the table this morning and we partake, we just pray that you would uh, be with us Lord, uh, just speak to us. Let us know your will for us. Let us give ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we sing together. Oh, the blood.